If we're all in this thing together, because here's what we're doing. We're diving into the word of God because we want to learn. Amen. We want to be taught of the Lord. So, Lord, we just submit our lives to you right now. Thank you. And want to welcome you guys, all of you, to our last installment of Love and Respect. We're going to land the plane today on the series. And we're going to pick up a new series next week called Inconvenienced. And that should be really interesting. And so be ready for that. But uh, I'm excited as we land the plane today because what we have done is we've really begun to unearth and explore. Now, the subject matter that we've been talking about, which is we began with relationships and then we've shaped into marriage, is really way too exhausted to cover in a few weeks on, on a few sermons. There's just no way. It's too much. So Pastor Rich and Donna have started a life group called Love and Respect, and they are currently going through that series right now. Now, if you can or cannot make that, great, but let me tell you what, we, what you can do, and I don't get any royalties at all from this, but I highly, highly recommend this book. It's excellent. It's practical. It's an easy read, and what I like about it is that he gives at the end of each chapter to-dos. In other words, there's high... Here's what you do, guys. This is how you do it. And I don't, it has helped me tremendously. I'm a guy and I need a list. Amen? So anyway, there, this book is great. So I'm just going to end the series in a way of just saying, get the book. Because, because I, I mean, and I'm not just one to just preach a book. So, so it's always a stretch for me doing this because God's speaking some things very clearly. But I encourage you to get this book. You can come look at it afterwards if you want to get any information you want off of that. Now, I want to show a video to you because I, I love videos, for one. And I love to laugh. So, so I want you to turn your attention to the screen. We're going to share a little video, a little tongue-in-cheek, so don't get all religious on me as we show this, okay? okay. I felt I needed to put a little disclaimer here. Okay. All right, if you'll look at the screen, turn it up real loud.
All right. Thought that'd be an appropriate way to end our series because, uh, men, we've learned a lot, have we not, during this series. So just some things not to say to your wife. Amen. I hope you took notes. You can get that on YouTube if you want. Check it out. All right. Ephesians chapter 5. Are you ready? Somebody talk to me. Are you ready? Ephesians 5.21, if you look at the screen, submitting to one another in the fear of God. There it is right there. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Leave that scripture right there. Let me read that scripture again because that is the basis for this entire series, the basis for this book, and it is a biblical basis. And this is a key that I've even visited recently with somebody who said, gosh, I never really saw that before. Didn't realize the, the love-respect connection. So look what it says. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular, now look what it says, so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we have love and respect working. Now, we've been talking about several different things, and we're going to talk about three cycles that are typical to most relationships. So I want to show the crazy cycle. If you will, Randall, go ahead and throw that up for us. This is the crazy cycle. Now, it's a simple principle, and if you haven't been here with us, this, this is real simple, so you can, you can jump right in with us. And here it is for the man. Now, here's what happens. Now, if he's not showing love, now her, without love, she, re- she reacts. In other words, whenever there's conflict, whenever there's misunderstanding, whenever love is withheld from the man to the woman, acts of love, genuine love, speaking in her language, not just his, without love, she reacts. And when she reacts, she reacts without respect. So the idea is that the man is to love and she, the woman, is to respect. So here it is. Without love, she, re- she reacts without respect. He reacts. And what happens is, is we look like an old dog chasing its tail. Have you ever seen one of those? I had a neighbor that had a dog that chased its tail. I just, it was hysterical. So you could just go out there and flick its tail and he'd just start spinning around in circles chasing its tail until he just nearly passed out. It sounds funny, and it's funny imagery in our mind to see a dog chasing its tail, but it's just as bad, and if not hideous, to see two adults in marriage chasing their tails, so to speak. And what happens is they get caught in this cycle of conflict where they are withholding the very thing the other person, listen to me, not only wants but needs. It's imperative to understand parents, parents, 
that your sons, as they are growing up and they begin to hit adolescence, early, middle adolescence, they need not just your love, moms. They need to know they're respected. Now, let me tell you something. They need it, not just want it. And a lot of times a mother will coddle a child and coddle a son and love, 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 love. And, and he's just like, oh, mom, oh, mom, oh, mom, you know, great, thank you. But what he needs is respect. Now, you can love him by respecting him, but you've got to find creative ways to show that young man that you respect him because that is what he needs. So don't just spend all your time loving, coddling, loving, coddling, when in fact what he needs is respect. Fathers, your daughters need appropriate love. They need acts of love shown to them. Now, I do this thing to Rachel because my goal as a daddy is to raise the bar so high that every knuckle-headed goofball guy that comes along, there is no way he can reach and attain the heights of the bar that I have set. So that she will be extremely discriminated when some knucklehead comes along. He's got something on his mind that he shouldn't. And she'll be like, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. My daddy opens my door. Now, here's what I do. I'll go open the door for her. When we get in the car, I'll go, I'll go ma'am, I've got the door for you. And she'll go, oh, daddy, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, daddy. She loves it. I'll treat her like a lady. I hold the door. I'll go, madam, ma'am, come on in, come on in. I'll just treat her like, i just raise the bar. Take her out on dates. Husbands, men, fathers, we've got to show them love because if we don't, some knucklehead will come along and show a counterfeit love that will destroy her. And you as a father will wonder, what happened? How could my daughter make those kind of decisions? Need I say anything else? So we have to raise the bar. We've got to raise the bar, men, fathers. Listen, it's not even hard. Just take them out to eat. Spoil them. Come on, dads. Come on, daughters. You should get excited about this. I'm telling you, it's like, now I got to admit, I'm kind of bad, and and Annette has to help me sometimes because I tend to overspoil, you know. It'll be like, if I pick up Rachel from school, she's like, Daddy, can we go get a Slurpee? I go, honey, no, 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 we, we need to get home. She goes, Daddy, but you can get one too. Okay, all right, let's go. <laughs> Daddy, can we go to Cold Stone? Oh, no, 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 but Daddy, you can get, oh, yeah, okay, let's go. So, I mean, I, I'm really bad sometimes. I, listen, if you, any of you young boys got your eye on my daughter, listen, let me tell you, you got some competition. You ask my daughter who her boyfriend is, she'll say, my daddy. Now, I say that in love because here's the deal. She needs love. She needs love, and she needs it from her father, from an appropriate male authority in her life, bringing it to her so that the bar is raised so that some knucklehead counterfeit that comes around won't even have a chance. Amen? What am I doing? I am storm-proofing her life right now. And fathers, our greatest discipleship project is our families, not our life group. Praise God for our life groups, but that is not your number one priority. I mean this in the most honest and real and right way. This church is not my number one priority. 
I steward this as a, as a child of God. I, I do the best I can. I pour my life into it. But, but my number one priority is my family. My number one project. My number one responsibility to say, before, when I'll stand before God and he'll say either well done or, well, sorry, son, you didn't quite get there. It, it is my family to make sure that I am stormproofing them. Because you do know there are wolves out there. And the last thing we need is some predator coming along, taking off our babies. Amen? So, without love, she reacts. So they get in this horrible cycle. And then with, and she reacts by withholding respect. And now you're just going round and round and round. That's the, that's the crazy cycle. We covered that weeks ago. But I felt like it's important to say some things there. And, and let's go to the energizing cycle. Because this is the next cycle. This is the one where, where you have the opportunity to make a difference. And this is so powerful because it can work for you now. It can work for you today. This isn't something that you've got to read a 600-page book and then figure out 700 lists and then start knocking out a list to get some help. This is something you can actually do now because here's the deal. It literally is being a better Christian to our families. I love what Pastor Brett Fuller says. Is we'd solve the problems of the world if we'd just be Christians. That sounds simplistic, but think about what he's saying. If we would actually be followers of Jesus, real deal. I'm not talking about lifestyle Christians. I'm not talking about you got the bracelet on. You've got, I'm talking about real believers. I tested a young man who had a bracelet on last night at the dinner table. We're at Chili's with our SWAT group, and he had one of those I am second bracelets on. He was waiting on us. I said, hey, champ, what does that mean? So what's that? He goes, what? I said, what's that bracelet on your hand? He goes, oh, I am second. I said, well, what is that? I know what it is. He said, well, he said, you know, it's, it's just, you know, you've got these principles in your life and you, and you want to, you know, really, and he's sort of beating around the bush for a second. And he goes, and, and really it's about putting Jesus first. I said, oh, are you one of those Christians? I love doing this. Man, I see somebody with a T-shirt on or a what would Jesus do bracelet. Man, they're like a victim to me. It's like, a, this is a project. So I said, I did. I said, so you're one of those Christians? He goes, sir. I said, you're one of them, one of those Christians? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I am. I said, cool. And then by that time, Annette's blowing my cover going, he's a pastor. He's a pastor. (laughs) She felt bad for the poor guy. I was making him squirm a little bit. You know why I do that? Because somebody did that to me when I was a new Christian. I had a Christian t-shirt on. I had a big old biker guy come up to me. Gray beard, looked like Grizzly Adams came up to me. He said, he said, you really believe that stuff? And in that split second, I had a decision to make. Because he was big and scary and had leather on. And I'm like, I said, yes, sir, I do. I was like, yes, sir. You know, I'm about to get killed for my family. I'm going to be a martyr for Jesus. You know, <laughs> Being Fox's Book of Martyrs. And uh, I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, good, me too. I was just checking you out. (laughs) Ever since then, I've done that. Because you know what? We ought to be held accountable for what we say, what we expose, what we say, how we identify. Amen? So here's the deal. We want the real deal. When we are the real deal, then what happens is the love of Christ is in us. It gets put into our spouse, into our families. And what happens is that love motivates her respect. Annette and I have been working on this. In fact, I told Annette uh, about a week ago, I said, Honey, you never have to tell me you love me again. Just tell me you respect me. 
You know what? I meant that. And so she's been actually changing her language around the house. She'll say, honey, I respect you. I'm just like, oh, wow, what do you want? <laughs> it's done. Carte blanche, man. I, any, and it's working, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's working. Trust me. I, I kid you not. I don't know. I'm going to go into details, but it's working. Hallelujah. So what's happening, though, is we're loving and respecting each other. What are y'all? Y'all people are horrible. I wasn't even talking about that. Good grief. I'm about to, I better preach the Bible. I better get some. Jeez. Okay. Come back to me, people. Here we go. When I'm loving right, when I'm loving appropriate, when I'm loving... And, and it's the love of Jesus that compels. It's, it's that love of Christ in me. I'm not talking about loving so I'll get something. I'm talking about loving, just loving, serving, giving, speaking, all those things she respects. And then it just turns into an energizing cycle. Just as the other way, when those things are withheld, turn into the crazy cycle. Listen, this goes for friendships too. Because we can talk about appropriate phileo love. The right kind of love. The brotherly affection kind of love. It, go, it works in all scenarios. Because at the end of the day, all this is is sowing something into somebody else. And knowing because of God's heart and God's nature, there's always a return. There's always a return. So the energizing cycles when you're both giving that out and it's working and it's amazing. It's like an engine that's been blueprinted and is running like it's supposed to run and it's hitting on all eight cylinders and it's dialed in and it's working like it's supposed to. Right, Jackie Paul? You know what I'm talking about. So the energizing cycle, it brings life to a relationship and life happens in the midst of that. Now, I want to share about another cycle. Here's another one. This is called the rewarded cycle. Now, I, I, the only picture I could find for it for our screen was this. So if you look on the right there, you just saw the energizing cycle. The rewarded cycle works like this. His love, regardless of. Now, this is where we have to say, all right, I'm going to be a Christian in my marriage. Do y'all, y'all do know that as a culture, we've really taken on, as a culture, a spirit of entitlement. Well, my rights... What I deserve. We've got such a Puritan work ethic, not only in our work environment, but it's permeated our very morality to the point where we think that every time I do something, I should get something in return. Somebody owes me something. And that's called entitlement. I'm entitled to that. I have a right to that. Let me tell you something. And this is where I get the preach on because you've got to understand something. When we stepped over the line to follow Jesus... We actually said, I am being buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. That's Romans chapter 6. Where we literally saying, I'm dying to all my entitlements. I'm dying to my rights. Even as you say that in America, you, you run the risk of getting tarred and feathered. But we've got to understand that when we say we're laying our lives down for Jesus, Jesus takes that seriously, even though we don't. Because for us, everything's contractual, not covenantal. So we say this. We say, all right, here's the deal. What if I'm showing love? 
What if I'm doing those things? What if I'm speaking her language, her love language? What if I'm pouring into this thing and I'm getting nothing back? Regardless of, I'm getting no respect. What, what am I going to try this out for a week and see if it works? You know, how, how can we, after being married, let's say a couple's been married eight years and, and they read this and go, oh, we'll give it a shot. But they're not really committed to it. They just want something fixed. You do understand, most of us just want relief. We don't want lordship. We just want, we just want to feel better. We, we just want the pressure to go away for a little bit. And usually that's enough for most people. And, 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 and there's not that many that are pursuing after God, pursuing after the kingdom. We just want a little relief. We just want to feel better. We just want the weight and the pressure off, the stress gone. Yeah, it's strong in it. So what happens, we bring that into our marriage and we just, we just want things fixed. We just want it to be okay. So we won't confront, we won't deal with, we won't approach things. And yet our marriages are spinning into dysfunction, but we don't have the courage to step into it and go, we got to take care of this. We got to get this right. So what happens is he gets this information. He gets this, I've got to love her and I'm going to love her whether she ever respects me or not. Pastor, I don't know. You're asking me to do a lot. I mean, really, come on now. This is America. This is 2011. I mean, you know, he better meet me halfway. What if he doesn't? What if you're giving him respect and he and he's still not? He's the king. He's got the he's the king of uh, of the remote. He's got 700 channels at his fingertips and that's all he lives for. Or he's into video games and that's what all he's about. He's just He's just about conquering kingdoms on the screen, but not in real life. And, and he's all caught up in that. And what, what are you going to do if, if you start to show him respect and you start to step out of this and he doesn't reciprocate? What are you going to do? Take your toys and go home to mama? Quit? We, unfortunately, because of the spirit of entitlement, are a culture of quitters. Give up. Cave in. Rachel wanted to quit dance a while back. And we're like, nope. But, nope. But, I, nope. T- nope. T- t- nope. Don't even talk about it. Why? Because we've got to teach her to persevere. Because we just let her quit because she's tired. Because she didn't feel like it. Because it's not fun anymore. You know what we're going to train her to do? Quit the rest of her life. We're going to teach her to quit her marriage. We're going to teach her to quit a job. My gosh, people quit in their job and don't even have another one on the hook because they're tired and they don't want to be treated like that. And I want to work with Christians. Let me tell you, those of you that are trying so hard to get out of your job, God has sown you there. God has planted you in the middle of a bunch of pagan, heathen, reprobating, fornicating, bad-mouthing. God's put you in the middle of those people so you can seed the gospel. But you're trying so hard to get out of there because it's not comfortable. It's not fun. They won't let me play KGNZ on the radio. So, so what happens is, is we literally abandon the very call of God on our life to be salt and light in the moment. Why? All back to the same spirit, this mentality of, gosh, I don't like people cussing around me. It's so funny because we used to be pros at it, right? We were good at it. We were good sinners. 
But, but somewhere along the way, we lost our compassion for those that are still out there. Instead, we're angry at the world. Listen, you can't, don't get mad at non-Christians. Don't expect them to act like Christians if they're not. I do get a little mad at Christians who claim to be Christians but aren't acting like Christians. I think that might be a little more justifiable. So here we are, regardless of her respect. Again, coming back, because I, I wanted to mine out the nature of this thing. Because it, it affects our marriages, where it's just so easy to quit today. It's so easy to give up. And by the way, every step away from the cross you take, there'll be 15 people there to validate you. Your, your workers and employees that have no investment in your real life whatsoever, oh, they'll be there. Oh, that fool, he should be taking care of you. He should be doing better than that. Yeah, he's not doing right by you. You should leave that fool. And that would be people telling you all day long, you have the right to be angry. You have the, am I speaking the truth? And these are our co-workers who don't even know where we live. But they got an opinion on our life and what we have a right to. And most of them don't even know that at some point in your life, you step over line and said, I'm making Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm dying to myself. I'm giving my heart to God. I'm like, God, use me. It's so funny because we think that means instant prosperity. What it might mean is instant trials, instant persecution, instant. I know, I know. I'm probably talking all of you out of being a Christian, but here's the deal. Somebody needs to speak the truth, the, the call to Jesus. I mean, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it clear. He said, he, Jesus calls a man and bids him come and die. We're so afraid to talk about lordship and talk about the reality of the gospel that may cost you your life, that, that much less talk about it might cost you being uncomfortable in your marriage. Because it's just easier to say, give up, quit, go the other way. Am I speaking the truth? And I, I don't like to be the bearer of harsh news, but, you know, I'm speaking the truth in love today. Because we need to hear the truth. Some of you are on the bubble. You're on the bubble in your walk with Jesus, and you're on the bubble in your in relationship with your family. Because these things aren't just going good. Just, you know, we tried. Gave it our best shot. You know, we just kind of fell out of love. Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Let's go to the next thing, Randall. I, I want to land the plane and, and get moving through this. So regardless of he loves, regardless of her and whether she, he, she respects, I, we've, got to, we've got to go beyond the call. What, what, what the world would say is the call of duty. We have to go beyond. Can I get an amen? amen. I know this is hard and I know this is strong, but somebody needs to say this. Because we're just too quick to quit. We're just too quick to give up. We've got some families in here with new babies, some about to have babies. Let me tell you, about, about a month into that, all the fun, the adrenaline wears off, and it's like, oh, my gosh, that baby's crying again? <laughs> Two o'clock in the morning? Whoa, now, wait a minute, I'm entitled to some sleep. No, you're not. You had a baby. <laughs> you're not entitled. You've got to lay your life down because now you're living for something bigger than you, somebody more than you. You've got to now begin to lay your life down for that other person. At what point did you switch laying your life down for your spouse and decide to start laying your life down back for yourself? When did you take up your own life again? Marriage, as opposed to what most movies say, is really 
a matter of living death. Because in dying, we live. When I lay down my preferences, my wants, it's to the point where my wife, I love this, she'll just go, would you please go play golf? I'm like, I don't know, honey. I just want to lose time. No, go. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, she's like twisting my arm going, would you please go play golf? How many of you men would love to have that coming? Come on, somebody. But you know why? It's because I don't dishonor her by going, oh, by the way, I scheduled a tea, like that video we saw a couple weeks ago. You know, I, I'm not, I respect and honor our time. I have a 10-year-old at home who's growing up faster than I can keep track of. The last thing I want to do is spend all my time away from her on the weekends. So there are times when Annette just comes and goes, please go, go do it. And I go, okay, I can do it. I feel good about that. I'm not bragging on anything. I'm just saying I made up my mind that my hobbies were not going to be my life. Why? Because I laid that stuff down. Well, why would you do that? Because I failed in my first marriage for 10 years. I paid a high price for being selfish. What I thought was keeping things from me, I lost everything. So I decided when I got married and God allowed me to get married again that I would do it right and that I would lay some stuff down. Perfectly? No. Lord, no. I throw resurrection parties every other day. I raise my flesh from the dead all the time. So do you. Amen? And I have to crucify it again. And then we have another party. Then we crucify again. It's just an ongoing cycle. Dying, living, dying, living. It's an ongoing deal. But at some point, you've got to step over the line and just go, you know what, I'm going to die because what's more important is not just Jimmy Pruitt now, it's Annette Pruitt and Rachel Pruitt, and it's Alicia, and it's Chris, my son, and it's, it's a whole group of people connected to me that I'm responsible for before God. And that means i just got to die to some stuff. Can I get an amen? Let's move to the next one, uh, Randall. Hope you're with me. Stay with me. Here it is. What if you give love or respect and the other person does not respond? Here's the answer. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't grow weary. Now, I'm not talking about abuse. So, so don't, don't jump over there and get into weirdness. I'm not talking about where there's abuse. I'm not talking about where there's psychological, physical abuse, where the law is being broken, where illegal things are happening. I'm not talking about that. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Are you with me? You understand? Okay. I want to make sure. But, I, but I'm not saying it's all perfect either. And it may be they're not responding. At what point do we as Christ followers step into the place of saying, I'm going to trust God in this? Do you think God can change somebody's mind? Oh, I think he can put a whole lot of things in there in place to make that happen and facilitate that. Amen? Don't quit. Don't grow weary. We become a culture of quitters. It's not going my way. I'm just going to walk away. Now, look at this scripture here. This is Galatians 6, 9. Look what it says. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Someone say, if, if. we don't we give, up. give up. Notice that line started with if. If is part of a covenantal statement, which means there's, a, uh, there's an if-then. So if we do this, then this will happen. So that's a covenant statement. So if we don't give up, we are going to reap a harvest. So there's a holding on, standing in, persevering that has to happen. Matthew 10, 34 says this. Don't think, now this is Jesus speaking. 
Don't think I've come to make life cozy. Now, that flies in the face of most books that are being produced under the guise of Christian living right now. Everybody say, I love Pastor Jimmy. Okay, just, all right, here we go. Moving forward. I've come to cut. This is Jesus. I've come to cut. Make a sharp knife cut between son and father, daughter and mother, bride and mother-in-law, Cut through these cozy domestic arrangements and free you for God. Well-meaning family members can be your worst enemies. If you prefer father or mother over me, you don't deserve me. Wait a minute. What happened to to your best life now? Wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. What about I'm going to be the best me I can be? It's all about me. I'm reading something different here. Somebody say amen quick. Okay. If you prefer son or daughter over me, you don't deserve me. Now listen, Jesus was talking in the context of a Jewish culture whereby when someone stepped away from the Jewish culture to embrace Christ, it literally meant they were cut off. It literally meant they had to abandon their family to follow him because an Orthodox Jew who stepped into into, into following after and becoming a disciple of Jesus was, in a sense, abandoning his entire heritage. So that's, don't over-extrapolate that into today to think, oh, I need to hate my parents, or I need to hate my father. I, that's not what that's saying at all. You've got to take the historical context and understand that this was to a Jewish culture that literally it meant losing everything when you turn to Christ. But what if? Even in our day, you turn to Christ, and a parent's not so happy about that. My dad, I'll never forget me sharing my faith with my dad the first time I was 19 years of age, and I'd just come just after Jesus. I set my dad down. I said, Dad, I need to tell you something. I'm a Christian, and I just shared what, what little bit I knew and what I understood. And he sat there, and he listened to me, and he said, It's all good and well, son, but just don't get too excited about all that. Don't get too fanatical. He said, we don't need to talk about this again. And we didn't for years. So, I didn't hate him. But our our conversations changed. What was important to us changed because I was pursuing Jesus. The essence of the gospel is to lay down your life for that which is bigger than you. That's what the essence of this thing is. That means if I am showing love to Annette and she is not reciprocating with respect, I still am responsible to show love to Annette because it's something bigger than me at stake. If that's not the case, then half of the prophets of the Old Testament could have easily abandoned their wives when they had had love affairs with other men and God would say, go back to them and take her back. Whoa, wait a minute. No, go back. Take her again. The prophet would go back and, and take, take his wife back after. After she committed adultery. After she chased off after other men. And then she did it again. And God said, take her back. Can you imagine the prophet going, you've got to be kidding. I don't believe I'm hearing God. I need to pray about that. I don't know that I'm hearing God on that. Why? Because it was a picture of God's love for Israel that was spiritually committing adultery on an ongoing basis. And God was trying to get a message to the culture to say, 
This is how different it is. My way is different than your way. And so he used this extreme example. Does that mean everybody here who's been in that situation needs to take their spouse back? No, it doesn't. But I'm saying he was valuing that and saying this is how powerful this can be. To where I will take you back no matter what. Our responsibility picks up where our rights leave off. Where now I have to, I have to draw a line in the sand and say I'm going to be a Christ follower no matter what. No matter what. Because really the Bible does say we walk by faith and not by sight. Was that really true for us? When every talk show on TV is all about how you feel today. Every book coming out right now is all about your, how you feel, how you perceive, how you, your worldview, and making sure it's, everything's congruent with you. I watch some of these daytime shows and I go, when did life get this complicated? And when did we as men get this wimpy? To where it's all about how I feel and all about my emotions. and all. I'm just like, can we have some real men please stand up? Can we go shoot something? Can we go kill something? Give me some Rambo. Help me. Stat. Lord, help me. What happened? Where now they're bringing all these men on, on these talk shows and they're all crying. I'm going, you've got to be kidding. What happened and what are we breeding into our culture? Because now we've got a whole generation coming up that are so confused in their identity and their gender identity. They're just absolutely confused because the line has been so blurred. I'm preaching now, so I better get back to our topic. Amen? It's just not wrong, young men, to be young men. And it's not about what you're seeing on the beer commercials. That's not being a man. That's being an idiot. And that, those aren't men. Those are caricatures. They're not even real. But, but what I'm talking about is actually holding a door open for a lady. There's some faith expressed. I'm talking about treating a lady like a lady. I'm not talking about getting on your Facebook account, which I see, by the way, and saying stupid stuff about girls. It's having some integrity and saying, even though I got wronged, I'm not going to go blab it on Facebook. I'm not going to tweet this. Having some self-control. Amen? Girls, that goes for you too on the flip side. Because I see yours too. There's some goofy stuff being posted out there. And I'm going, gosh, if they only knew that everybody can read this. Oh, wait, they do. It's a public forum. What happened? But young men, it's okay to be young men. It's okay to be masculine. It's okay. It's okay. And when the world's screaming at you to lay down your masculinity, it's okay to be masculine. Go hitch a ride with Michael Bob Starr to be one. That'll make you masculine real quick. Or not. It might it may not. But I'm just what I'm saying is, is that guys, we have we've lost something here. And I apologize from my generation to yours, where we've dropped the ball on this. I'm sorry. We've taught you that it's all about you because we've modeled that it's all about us. And I'm sorry. I repent for my generation. I'm sorry. It's okay to have integrity and show respect. It's okay to say yes, ma'am, to a lady and yes, sir, to a man. 
By the way, I'm not your dude. I love you guys. Don't call me dude. I'm your pastor or I'm sir to you, okay? I love you. I love you. But let me tell you something. I'll show you the same respect back because I, I believe in your generation. I believe what, what God's got in you and what he's put in this generation is amazing. But, but let's work together on this, all right? A little mutual respect. Let's treat each other like men, okay? Deal? Okay, all right. Good deal. I love you guys. I'm so proud of you, but I, I feel horrible for what we've done to you. John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Dying for others. Now, there's a novel idea. You know, our military do it all the time. They put their lives on the line, and they'll, they'll go over there. And every time, poor Annette, she, 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 I do this constantly. Every military person I see in a uniform, I just go, thank you. I'll go right up to them. Thank you for what you do. Nine times out of ten, they're very gracious. Sometimes they're embarrassed. But, I, but most of the time, they're just like, thank you. And most of the time, it's thank you for saying thank you. But I, I so appreciate because they, they understand this principle here that when they go out and do what they do, uh, what Bill did for years as a highway patrolman, I mean, my gosh, I cannot imagine what it's like pulling up to a car every single time not knowing what's going to be in that car. I cannot imagine. I put myself in your place. Bill, I, just, I, I respect what you've done, and thank you for your years of serving us and, and keeping the peace and doing what you do. It's a high price to be paid. Lives on the line every day. That's the spirit of this. Greater love is no one than this to lay down his life for his friends, much less laying down your life for just a whole group of people you don't even know. And that's the essence of marriage. It's laying down your life for that person, even if they don't reciprocate. This is where it gets tough. And this is the choke point. Can I get an amen? amen. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself. How did Jesus give himself for the church? He died. He died. Ephesians 5.21. And further... Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We do what we do to honor Him and we submit one to another. We understand that we are preferring somebody's life before ours. Amen? Ephesians 7, 7 and 8. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. This goes for marriage. What I'm doing is for Him and for His glory and for His honor. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. In other words, not one thing I do on behalf of my family, my spouse, or my friends goes unnoticed by God. Not one. That doesn't mean you always get an instant result, and that isn't why we do what we do. But we do know that when we do things for the Lord, there is a return. For one, just the knowledge of knowing I didn't do it for me. That should be enough. But because God is so generous, there's, there's reward beyond that. And that is He loves us and blesses us. It's amazing.